Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 18. I went to uh, Columbia Bible College back in 1980, and one of my best friends, Ron, was in his junior year, and he took a homiletics class, and he had to preach his first sermon in that class. And he would say with a smile even today that it was a disaster. Why was it a disaster? Two simple words. No spit. No spit. You know how when you speak before people, your mouth can dry out, and then your, your lips can start making weird noises? Well, that's what happened to Ron, and it got so loud and so bad that a friend from Georgia said he was praying to the Lord for him for spit. And then... He said he was ready to pull out a squirt gun, you know, to give him a shot right directly in the mouth. What was Ron's need that day? He needed an endless supply of water. And you know what? That was the supposed need of the Samaritan woman. She thought she needed an endless supply of water so she wouldn't have to walk to the well every day. What she really wanted was indoor plumbing. You know, but it, I don't think it had been invented yet. Jesus in this passage shows her the real need in her life was living water. Look at John 4, verse 1. This is the word of God. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this, that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, 
Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The last time we looked at this passage last week, I revealed how Jesus had to go to Samaria in order to keep this divine appointment with this woman. Now, most Jews, as we talked about, wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go around it. They would cross the Jordan River. They would go on the east side of the Jordan. They would go up, and then they'd cross it again and go into Galilee. This made the journey longer and harder, and it revealed the racial divide that was going on during that time. Well, we also saw last time how Jesus loved this woman before even saying a word to her. I mean, he traveled 25 to 30 miles along the hot, arid ridgeline of the Judean mountains. He didn't avoid the Samaritans, but proactively went there to see this woman. And the fact that she was a Samaritan and immoral didn't stop Jesus from making this divine appointment. You see, the shepherd was searching for his lost sheep and nothing would keep him from making that appointment. He traveled 30 miles in the hot Judean sun to give the gospel to this woman. Now, verse 6 says that he was weary, and verse 7 implies that he was thirsty. And you know, you think about it, we don't really understand thirst in this culture. We, we don't get it. I, if your family's like my family, um, both my girls have 50 cups each. You know those cups they carry around? And they're all filled with water. And then they also have water bottles where they'll take a couple sips, put the top back on, and leave them in the truck. So if we ever got in lost in the desert in our truck, we could probably last a month with all the water in that truck. We don't understand thirsty here. I traveled to Israel back in 1978 and 1981. It is a hot, rocky, arid, desert region. And I cannot imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago because of modern irrigation and all of that. Israel is pretty green now. But back then, it was probably miserable. But you know what? I didn't have to suffer much when I was there. Because instead of walking 20 miles or 30 miles, I traveled around in an air-conditioned Mercedes bus. That was part of the tour. And when I was thirsty, the only thing I had to suffer, this is 1978, I had to pay a dollar for a Coke instead of a quarter back in the U.S. And I was like, um, you know, I can't believe you're paying a dollar for a Coke. The incarnation is a beautiful picture of how Christ loves us. You know, he was willing to give up the comforts of heaven to come to the earth to rescue us. He was willing to live in the midst of of sinful man, a holy and perfect God. 
was willing to come to earth for us. He was willing to die thirsty so that he could quench the thirst of our souls. Well, what about us? What about us? Are we suffering and following Christ's example? Well, you know we are called to do that. And it says that in 1 Peter 2.21. It says, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. The question is, are we following in his steps? Especially when it comes to evangelism. It makes me think of a, an article I read years ago. It was about a missionary from India. And he went there in the 1960s, and right when he got there, he contracted tuberculosis. So he started suffering right away. He didn't know the language of the people yet. I mean, he just arrived, right? And they put him in a poor people's hospital, in a sanitarium. So here he is in this poor hospital. He didn't understand the language. He's trying to pass out tracts and Bibles to these people. And they're looking at him like thinking, what are you even doing here, you rich American? You know, they, they were like, they don't want to have anything to do with him. They, they were wondering, why is he here? Little did they know, he was as poor as they were. And that's why he was there. So one night, this missionary wakes up hacking from his disease, you know, coughing. And, and he hears across the ward uh, an old man trying to get up out of bed. And so... You know, he hears the old man trying to get up, trying to get up, and finally the old man falls back in the bed and starts crying. And so the next morning, he hears all kinds of yelling going on in the ward, and he finds out the reason why that man started crying is because he wet the bed. And the nurses and the orderlies were all upset at this man because of the stench in the ward. You can imagine in 1960 what a hospital was like in, in India. There was no air conditioning. And so finally, they get, the, they get the bed changed and all of that, and the old man just kind of balls up in a ball and cries. And so the next evening, we repeat the same scenario. This missionary wakes up coughing again. He hears the old man, and this time he, he thinks, i got to do something. But he thinks, I am too weak to even get out of bed. I can't do this. And finally... We know who helped him to get out of bed. He finally goes across the room, picks up the old man, carries him to the bathroom, and then carries him back to the bed. And the old man says, thank you, in another language, and then kisses him on the cheek. Two hours later, at four in the morning, this man's awoken, right? And he's given a cup of tea, hot tea. And it's one of the patients, and the, and the motions for a tract. And then one by one, for the rest of the day, they asked for tracts. The doctors, the nurses, the patients. And he ends his story saying this, what did it take to get the gospel across to somebody, to these people? It wasn't a phenomenal sermon. It wasn't, you know, great teaching. I simply took a man to the bathroom. That's all I did. And anybody could do that, he said. Anybody could do that. And you know, you think about it, this man did more than that. 
He went to India. He contracted tuberculosis. Why would he do all of that? Why would he suffer so much? Because Christ suffered for him. He knew that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. He knew that. He loved us. Christ loved us so much that he was willing to suffer for us in our place. We deserved it to suffer. He didn't. So we should want to follow his example out of love for him and out of thankfulness for what he's done. So Christ reaches out to this woman. And at this point, she doesn't see her need for this endless supply of water. And that leads to the second point, which is a thirsty sinner. Notice that it's Christ who reaches out to this woman by asking her for a drink. And, and my thinking is this, that this woman walked up, probably saw Christ there, and probably put her head down and thought, I'm just going to get this done, get out of here. Right? She didn't say a word to him. She was probably ready to get out of there, get out of Dodge, right? It was Christ who initiated the conversation. And he's the one who initiated all of it because he was on a mission to see her. The woman was an outcast. You know, she was an outcast to the Samaritans because she was immoral. Think about this. She was walking to this well by herself. I'm sure that was a uh, you know, a, maybe a community thing where the women would all walk together to the well to get water and walk back again. But she's walking by herself. She is an outcast. And this was a half a mile walk. The well is still there today. You know, so it was a half a mile walk to the well and a half a mile walk back again all by herself. Right? And the disciples... In verse 8, it says he sends them to town, right, to get food. So they probably walked right by her. As she's walking to the well, they walked by her to the town, right? And you can imagine, because in verse 27 it says they were wondering, they didn't say anything, but they were wondering why Jesus was talking to this woman. Jesus, what are you thinking? You know, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher. What are you doing talking to this woman? You know, that's what they were thinking. It says that there. So you can imagine maybe if they were walking by, they may have, you know, turned their head. They may have snubbed her, looked down on her, you know. This woman was in a bad position. She was a thirsty soul in need of a spiritual drink. And I want to remind you that a couple weeks ago, when we looked at John 3, we looked at Nicodemus, and we saw him as a self-made religious leader who thought he had the right to come to Jesus. And here we see the opposite. We see this woman who is the opposite extreme. She is an outcast. And the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is willing to come to her. 
And you know what? The glorious thing is that he was willing to come after us too. He was willing to come after us too. And you know what else? He had to come and get Nicodemus as well. You know, if I was left to myself, I would have continued my life to this day as a self-righteous Pharisee. You know, I, I remember, I, I think back all the way to like 5th and 6th grade, where I would pray a lot and think that I was good with God. Good to go. You know, because I, I went to church and I prayed. And so I thought I was better than most of my friends. I had a connection with God that my other friends didn't. In fact, later on in high school, as I started going out with the partying crowd, you know, hanging out with all those friends, um, they would say stuff like, you know, we're, we'd be at a party and they'd be partying down, and then he'd go, yeah, we're all going to be to hell, we're all going to go to hell together. And I would just shudder as they said stuff like that. And even then, you know, I, I thought to myself, now I look back on it and think, I was so self-righteous. I was thinking I was better than them, even though I was doing everything they were doing. Because I prayed, because I went to church. I was just like Nicodemus. Or I was just like the Samaritan woman. I was a self-righteous Pharisee, not seeing my sin. And it took the Spirit of God, the living water, to clean my heart and to give me the gift of faith and repentance. You know, and that's what Jesus is trying to get through to this woman. That's why he's talking to her. And notice the conversation, how he steers the conversation in verses 10 through 14. Look at this. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered her and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman like Nicodemus in chapter 3 was confused, thinking that Jesus is talking about physical water instead of spiritual. And the other interesting thing is how he steers this conversation. Because she starts talking about her father Jacob and how they esteem Jacob, that you know he's the one that built this well. And she's trying to steer the conversation away with where he's going. And it's amazing how he takes the conversation and he brings it back again to living water. Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says this, Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness 
and reverence. And Jesus fulfills this with this woman. He conducts himself with wisdom by loving this woman in such a way that she's willing to listen. And he makes the most of this opportunity. He is proactive, and he sprinkles his conversation with grace. His speech is seasoned with salt. And one commentator says this, he says, Salty speech, it, it is also, it has pungency and flavor. Speech flavored with salt, accordingly, is not empty or insipid, but thought-provoking and worthwhile. It is not a waste of time. Also, such speech does not repel. It attracts. It attracts. And look at this conversation he's having with her. He's talking about living water, and she's so excited about this, she, she doesn't even know what he's talking about, and she's drawn. She wants to listen. She wants to hear what he has to say. And we need to do the same. You know the old bracelet, what would Jesus do? Well, we see what Jesus is doing in this passage. How he's conversing with this woman, and how he conversed with Nicodemus in John 3. We're seeing how he gives the gospel to others. And how are you doing with the opportunities and the conversations that God gives you with unbelievers? You know, remember what Colossians 4 says. It says, um, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let me ask you this. Opportunity is a very positive word, you know. I have the opportunity to go to Europe, or I have the opportunity to make this investment. Um, We use that word in a positive sense. So my question is to you, when you think of evangelism, do you think of it as an opportunity? You know, or do you think of it as a drudgery? You know, that I have to talk to this person. Do Do you think, I can't do that, you know? I'm afraid. I wouldn't know what to say. But, you know, if you think that way, you're not trusting the God who is inside of you. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who empowers me. And, you know, I know you can do it because God has enabled me so many times um, throughout my life. And in fact, He enabled me to give the gospel one time when I was a brand new Christian. Um, Gave the gospel to a friend in the Air Force. And it was the first time I went to lunch with this guy and just, we talked about church and he opened up and I gave him the gospel and he became a Christian. And the reason why I tell you that is if, if God can use me when I'm a brand new believer, he can use anybody. He can use anybody. Christ proclaimed this to this woman at the well and she responded in a way that quenched her thirst. And that leads to the third point, which is a flowing spring. Look at verse 14. It says this, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him in verse 15, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. 
Jesus promised this woman living water, a spring in her soul that would never dry up. And as we've seen, she's still thinking literal. She thought that Jesus was saying that he could produce something greater than Jacob produced. So why does Jesus use this metaphor, living water? Why does he talk about spring water? Why does he talk about that? Well, there's a spring in Florida. It's called the Florida Aquifer. And it starts, the formation starts in Georgia. Let me do it this way. The formation starts in Georgia and dips down under the state of Florida. Okay? And I was a geologist before I was a theologist, so uh, bear with me here. Um, So this formation dips down under Florida, and it has a confining layer of clay above it. And so the water that forms in Georgia and percolates down through this formation is cleaned out by the formation. It's limestone and dolomite, which is a very porous rock. So it flows through this rock, cleans itself out, and by the time it gets down into Florida, if you punch through that layer, it's, a, it's an aquifer. It, it'll spring forth like a spring. And, and that's why Jesus is using this illustration. It's a flowing water. You drill a, a, a well in northern Florida into this aquifer, and you've got just water flowing, clean, clear water continually flowing. In fact, they have these wells all over the state that are flowing, and they have to go around capping them. You know, Um, so that's why Jesus is using this metaphor about flowing water. Um, And he promises this woman that she can have an unending supply of the Holy Spirit, which will gush forth to eternal life. And this was something that would be impossible for her to mess up. We can muddy it up but we can't mess it up. We can't stop it once it starts. And that, that's great news, isn't it? We can't mess it up. Um, in closing, if you were to, let's say, hire a contractor in southern Florida, and he were to drill a well into your property, and let's say this contractor doesn't know what he's doing, and he drills this well, and he accidentally goes too deep, and he gets into the the aquifer, and this water starts flowing all over the place. And he's never hit the Florida aquifer, so he's freaking out, you know, seeing water go over all over the place. He's knowing that tomorrow you're supposed to lay the foundation for your house, and he's figuring, what am I going to do? So he takes a bulldozer, and he just puts dirt over the well, covers it up, says, ah, they won't notice. What are you going to get the next day? What? Muddy water all over the place. Muddy water. You're not going to be able to plug up that spring with mud. And you know what? It makes me think of the Christian life. Many times we can try as Christians to plug up the spring that's within us. And we do that with sin. You know, in the context of this story... We can do that by saying, no, I don't, I don't want to give the gospel. Yeah, I'm too embarrassed. Uh, I'm too afraid, Lord. I, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Or we do it 
by running after idols, thinking that they can bring us joy. You know, I, I think of idols as Chinese food. You can uh, get filled up real quick, but three hours later, what is it? You're hungry again. They don't quench your thirst. Only Christ can do that. And that leads to the, the Lord's Supper. The Samaritan woman at this point in this story did not understand what Jesus was talking about. She will next time. She doesn't this time. She was trying to quench her thirst from broken cisterns. She was trying to find love in all the wrong places. That's a country song, right, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Which left her soul parched and needing to be filled. And that's what was happening in the Old Testament with God's people. In Jeremiah 10, 13, he says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And, and many times, we as the people of God act just like the people in the Old Testament, or we act like the Samaritan woman, because we can run after broken cisterns that have water leaking all over the place, and we're trying to satisfy our thirst. You know, we can run after pleasure or control or power or pride or pornography or lust and, and wonder why we're not happy, why we're not satisfied. You know, and if you find yourself there this morning in this place, drinking from broken cisterns, then you need to turn back to God. And, and many times, it's like Adam and Eve, you know, when they, when they sinned, what did they do? They went and hid from God. And that's what we do many times. We hide. And God comes looking for us. And he comes calling us back to himself. And we come back through repentance and faith. If you find yourself there this morning, then turn to him. And if you find yourself there this morning and, and don't want to turn back, then I would say refrain from this meal until you're ready. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the only source of living water. Help us not to run after other idols that only create more thirst. Help us instead to have a thirst for honoring and pleasing you through all that we do. Father, help us to live life out of gratitude for the suffering that you did for us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.